Welcome to Exploring the Seasons of Life, a podcast for women with a big heart on a spiritual journey. I'm your host, Cindy McMillan, and I'm joined today by Deborah Ann Davis. Each week, I interview coaches and spiritual explorers from all walks of life about beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. Self-love, well-being, and mindset are at the heart of our conversations because once you change the inside, the outside will begin to change as well. This interview is part of a self-care series called Life in Full Bloom, Living from the Inside Out. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Exploring the Seasons of Life podcast. I'm delighted you are here and thanks for hanging out with us today. My guest, Deborah Ann Davis, says you're doing better than you think. As a parenting life coach, author, speaker, former science teacher, and mother, Deborah's job is to help you recognize what you're doing right and to add supplemental strategies. Her books, How to Keep Your Daughter from Slamming the Door and How to Get Your Happy On, are available everywhere. On July 31st, Deborah and two of her colleagues are offering the third of a four-part series of free seminars called Talk About Teens for parents of tweens and teens. This one is how to rock the return to school after that weird year we just had. Join her Facebook group, The Mom Meetup, or email her at info at DebraAnnDavis.com for more information. Deborah, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited you're here. Well, thank you. I'm very, very glad to be here. I love the name of your book, How to Keep Your Daughter from Slamming the Door. (laughs) (laughs) My daughter said to me, Mom, you can't write that book. I never slammed the door. I was like, well, why do you think that is? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love starting off the podcast with what does exploring the seasons of life mean to you personally or in your business? Well, for me, exploring the seasons of life personally is sort of like where you are on the continuum of life. And if you look specifically at that moment, you could say, oh, yes, I'm in this particular season. But the reality is it's a continuum. Just like I live in Connecticut, so we have four seasons. And just like you can point to the center of that season and say, well, this is definitely summer. Right at the beginning of the season and right at the end of the season, there's this flipping back and forth as you are dipping your toe into spring and dipping your toe into summer or dipping your toe into summer and dipping your toe into autumn. So there's the transitional period. At any given time, I feel like I'm in the transitional period that my life is about change and embracing what's coming next. When I look in hindsight, I see, oh, that was a season and it is now past. But at the time, I don't recognize it as a season. And if I may, I'll just share a funny story. When I was younger, I was watching a TV show and the character in the show was being was reminiscing about life. And she was a younger than me character. And she was saying, I just didn't think middle age was going to be like this. And I thought, middle age, how could she be middle age? So I run over to the dictionary and I look up middle age and I found out I'd been middle age for three years. 
So, <laughs> I totally missed the beginning of that season. <laughs> and then ironically, the same thing happened when I turned elderly. You know, because in some circles, 60 is considered elderly. So I had been, I'd been elderly for another three years before I, I looked it up and realized that that was me. So seasons are relative. And if you want to talk about the aging seasons, then um, I've had a few of those in my earlier years, mostly associated with sickness. And when I got better, it was no longer an aging season. So seasons are a relative term, I think. I love that, Deborah. The way you explain that, and especially that transition, maybe at the beginning of a season or at the end of a season, not realizing, oh, yes, this is a season and it too will pass. Mm-hmm. Yep. Love it. And now you're a parenting coach. Yes. And you were a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. So how did how did you, did you become a parenting coach? What was your journey? Well, I taught for many years and I taught a, a group of children who happened to be in a huge transition It's called puberty. And they are very emotional and very insecure and absolutely positively convinced that everybody's got it together except them. Every single kid, I don't care who it is that you're looking at. It's kind of like parenting. Parenting, parents all think that all the other parents have it together and they're screwing up their kid's life. And really, they're doing way better than they think they are. If you just look at how great your kid is, you, you could see the evidence of what you've done right. Back in the day, when I would be talking to the parent, it was usually because there was a problem, like a behavior problem or an academic problem. So I'd have an upset parent on one side of the table, and I'd have a sullen, defensive kid on the other side of the table. And I knew we weren't going to solve anything until I could get them to talk. So I ended up accidentally developing these different ways for them to communicate with each other. And then we could address the problem and then follow up on it. Okay. So sometimes things would Things I would try would work. Sometimes they wouldn't work. So I ended up with a big arsenal of different tactics. Then I understand, you know, 20 years later that basically what I was doing was parent coaching, but they didn't have that name back then. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now there's a name for what I was doing. I, I love that, that you took what you were already doing in the classroom with the parents and the, and the um, students and actually coaching. But like you said, coaching is such a new term. Mm-hmm. What, in the last 20 years, has that just really started um, becoming a thing? Yes. See, as a, as a parenting coach or even as a life coach, my job is to figure out what it is you're doing right and then supplement it. So we're building on this stuff that we're building on your foundation, basically. Deborah, and I I love that, that you said you're you're figuring out what you're doing right Mm -hmm. and building on that versus what you're doing wrong. So I love your take on that. Exactly. Because that has, I I remember this from when I was a young mom. I remember things, it just so happened that I had two sister-in-laws who were pregnant around the same time I was. And they were younger than me because I didn't start till my 30s and they were, you know, young 20s. 
And they seem to be sailing through everything so easily and with no problem. So I was comparing myself to them. And that's the mistake we all make is we compare ourselves to everybody around us. You know, we, we compare our clothing and our makeup and our hair and the behavior of our children and the success of our children and the, the relationship we're having with our significant other. And I mean, we never look at ourselves and say, wow, I am in a better place now than I was a year ago. Or wow, look at how much more I know now than compared to five years ago. Because all of that is progress. And progress is progress. I don't care how little it is. Progress is progress, even the tiny baby steps. And if you want to change things in your life, it's all about the baby steps, period. It's not about these big, huge leaps that knock your lifestyle out of balance. And when you stand up and stagger back into the path there, you you go back to what's comfortable, which is the old lifestyle. It's about baby steps that you make changes in your life that are really easy to incorporate and use and stick with. And then you add another one and then you add another one, you know, and then you build your foundation. It has taken me a lifetime to really understand that it's those baby steps. You know, as a younger woman, I definitely thought, oh my gosh, it had to be from A to Z, not realizing, okay, we're going to do A, then we're going to do B. And I knew all this because well, as a teacher, you know what you're going to do each quarter, right? But you have to plan out the first week. So I don't know why, even though I had been teaching for 10 years before I got married, why I didn't understand the way my regular, my work life was structured, why that wouldn't apply to being a mom and, and raising a baby instead of sitting there going, oh, I've got this baby which you have to understand, I w- I'm a high school, middle school person. I get high schoolers and middle schoolers. And the idea of being responsible for a baby was so scary for me. So when I'm sitting there faced with a baby, I didn't think in terms of, we just get through today. You're healing yeah. from a cesarean. You've got to change the baby and feed the baby. You don't have to be thinking about screwing up the baby's life. (laughs) You don't have to be worrying about what kind of adult they're going to be. It's about changing the diaper of the week old baby. And that's it. That's all you got to worry about, that little baby step. But I didn't tell anybody I was scared. I, I pretended everything was good. And I just, you know, put my best foot forward and privately was worried and scared. And, and I wish somebody had said to me, baby steps, Deborah, baby steps. All you have to do is worry about today. So all you people out there, I'm that voice. I'm saying that to you right now. You are doing better than you think. And all you have to do is take the baby steps to move yourself forward. That's all you have to do. I can help you if you want, but there's plenty of things that you can use that are free on the internet. I mean, you could go to my blog. It's called Mary Meddling. And there's lots of articles in there that you can use. But basically, it's about realizing you're doing better than you can and appreciating the progress that you've made so far. 
And if you're not sure, take a look at your wonderful kids. Do they have some problems and some troubles? Of course they do. Everybody does. We're part of the society that generates them. But that's not your fault. So your child is doing well despite the world that we are raising them in. And all you got to do is build on their foundation baby steps. Deborah, I love that. And yes, I wish I had had somebody tell me that as a new mom. And this kind of leads into, I was really curious, are parents putting way too much pressure on themselves these days? Because there's, there's no one right way to, to raise a child. Yes, absolutely they are. And I like that phrase, no one way, one right way to raise a child, because that's absolutely true. There are clumps of ways, but it, there's, it's definitely not one size fits all. I blame a lot of the media for this. Back in the 50s, when they started the TV commercials and they said how you're supposed to live and what your house is supposed to look like and how you're supposed to dress and how you're supposed to be at home and make the house perfect. And then the husband comes home and you're wearing a pretty dress with a lovely apron over it. And there's no spit up on your shoulder. And, you know, and the kids are all well behaved because you're the only person parenting them because the husband's away the whole time and he gets waited on by the adoring family when he gets back. So we were, our our mothers were conditioned in that direction and raised us in that direction and felt guilty when they stepped out of that mold and transferred that guilt to us. So we're sitting there, you know, yes, we can go out. I can be a science teacher because of the steps that my mother's generation took. And I can um, vote because of the steps that her mother's generation took and things like that. But the bottom line is that our society has never reconciled how to be a healthy adult with how to promote products. I was especially low when I was doing the postpartum thing and cutting coupons out of the Sunday flyer and stuff like that. And um, feeling like I was a bad parent since I wasn't buying the things on the coupons before the expiration date. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which is a reflection of how well I was parenting as far as I was concerned. And my husband came across me sobbing one day, which was because I had put regular dishwashers so in the dishwasher machine, which apparently doesn't go in there, and the whole kitchen had filled with suds. So he helped me clean it, up, clean it up, and then we talked about my stress and things. And and he said to me, "You need to stop clipping coupons. You need to stop looking at flyers because they create this yearning in you, these things that you don't necessarily want or are interested in. You know, I don't care that you can get." 10 cents off of a can of beets because neither of us eat beets, you know? So he was right. I stopped clipping coupons. I completely stopped looking at the Sunday flyer. And then I um, threw away all the coupons I had without, you know, checking the dates, which was heroic. And (laughs) I stopped, I, I stopped watching commercials and I felt like I was shedding pounds You know, the weight off of me was incredible. And I'm still aware of the pull. 
sometimes when I'm driving through a neighborhood and I see for sale signs for houses, I think, ooh, but I'm not in the market for a house. It's just the advertising that does that. You know, we're exposed to 3,000 types of advertisement over the course of the, a day, estimated. And it makes you say, I wish I had that. Instead of looking at what you have and saying, wow, this is great. Deborah, I can relate to the cupin- cutting, clipping of the coupons very much, but also with what you're saying, I have like five shampoos in the shower because of that marketing message, you know, the one's going to give me that volume that I'm looking for, you know, <laughs> and I'm searching for that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Those commercials convince you. And um, there's an, a, a website called um, Environmental Working Group, EWG.org. And they have a database of um, skincare products. They have a database of sunscreens and they have a database of makeups. And what they do is they analyze the chemicals that are in them and they list them, they rank them according to how carcinogenic they are. And carcinogenic I, uh, ingredients are cancer causing. So go run those five shampoos through that database and see, because you can do it by a specific name or you could just look at the ranks if you're looking for the healthy things. I'm, I make sure that I don't use anything that has a scent to it, that it doesn't have um, uh, artificial colorings on it because there, there's no need for my body to be having that. I just need to clean my body. All I put on my skin is olive oil, extra virgin olive oil in the winter. In the summer, I put co- coconut oil because it's a little lighter, just when I need it. And um, and I use plain old goat soap for doesn't unscented, doesn't have any any um, chemicals in it. Just you know, so. I'm not saying this is good for everybody. I'm saying this is what has worked for me. And you need to know that the stuff you're using is safe. I found out by accident that um, a lot of the makeup companies create two sets of makeup. They create one for the United States with all these bad chemicals in it. And they create another one for Europe because Europe has banned all these things. I happened to be listening to a, a podcast just a few days ago, and and then I have to apologize right now because I can't remember who the guest was, but she was talking exactly what you're saying and about how we need to detox from all the chemicals that are in everything. And I'd love to have you back on to talk about all that because I found that conversation as I was listening to it absolutely fascinating. Oh, I would love to talk about that. That's one of my favorite soapboxes. I will have you back on and we will talk about the chemicals. (laughs) So when it comes to teenagers and self-care, how do we help them see how awesome they are when peer pressure is so strong Well, this is going to seem like a totally off answer, but the answer to that is you have to take care of yourself, you, the parents, because you model it. If you feel like you don't look attractive, then your child's not going to feel like they look attractive. If you feel like you're insecure, then your child's going to be insecure. And I don't mean fake it, like if you're insecure that you hide it. 
is that you talk about it, what causes that insecurity, and you're transparent about those things that you're going through. And yes, some of those vulnerable uh, conversations can create a situation where your child's going to ask you a question that you're not prepared to answer. Like (laughs) my favorites, do you and daddy still have sex? (laughs) (laughs) Did you do drugs in college? You know, those kinds of things, right? And the answer to those questions is, why do you ask that? What makes you ask that? What's on your mind? Because sometimes they're not really interested in the answer. It comes from something like something they read on a bathroom stall or something they heard an older child say on the school bus. And they're really wondering about the conversation the child on the school bus said or what the picture in the bathroom meant. They're not really that interested in you. By jumping in to answer their question, you the way you're trying to be a, a modern parent and transparent and all that business, you may not be answering something that they're interested in. You, you might just be interest, answering, missing their point. So pausing for a second and saying, so why do you ask me that? What brings that up? What's, what, what's on your mind? We'll bring the question back to them and let them explore what it was that they were actually thinking about. Now, eventually you're going to run out of the stalling technique if you can, if, if you will. But the thing is that even though it is a stalling technique, it, it gives you a moment to gain insight to your child, where their mind is at, what they're thinking. And when they're done with that, with their exploration, you can expand it by saying, does your best friend feel that way too? Do you think the other kids in your class feel that way? Do you think the character in your favorite TV show feels that way? So you allow them to keep exploring and then takes a spotlight off of you because they're not interested in that anymore. Although I know that is so true. Go ahead. I was just going to say, what you're saying is really resonating with me because, you know, I would talk to my daughter, for example, like at night while she was getting ready for bed and, you know, I'd sit there and we would um, just have that meaningful conversation. And you're right. When those questions come up and I hadn't really thought about it, like, you know, why do you ask and things like that, but I would, you know, have I may not have asked that specific question, but I would, you know, try to get more information out. But you're right. It usually is something that's happening at school or with one of their friends Mm -hmm. or that they've seen at one of their friends houses. Exactly. You know, exactly. The first time I I ran into this was a um, (laughs) my daughter was five and I was totally unprepared for a conversation. I absolutely positively knew was coming. Because my father and his wife live in a town that has a large gay population during the the, um, summer season. And so we'd be up there visiting them all the time. And we were strolling along window shopping. She was about four. And she says, look, mommy, which was the big alarm sound in my head. Whenever she did that, there was something coming. I couldn't tell where it was coming from. So she goes, look, mommy, those two men are holding hands. And I was sitting there going, I had four years to prepare for this moment and I didn't do it. And I don't know what to do. I I don't know what to say. And so I stalled and said, 
what do you think that means? And she said, oh, that they love each other. And then she went back to window shopping and that was the end of the conversation. And I was like, that is, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that is so sweet. <laughs> so I don't know why she noticed or why she commented. She was too little to really tell me, but I use that stalling technique all her life. And even when we went through the, do you and daddy still have sex? I was able to dodge that for years because it would come up periodically. And then finally she was like, I don't know, junior in high school or something. And the question came up again, do you and daddy still have sex? And I said, well, what does that mean to you? And she goes, well, I just want to know. I said, why are you, why are you thinking about it? I don't know. I, I just want to know. And so I, I knew it was the day of reckoning. So I said to her, honey, don't ask questions you don't really want to know the answer to. And she blinked at me a couple of times and turned around and walked out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> on, on your website, you have, don't confuse being an awesome mom with being a perfect mom. What do you mean by that? Okay, let me define an awesome mom. An awesome mom is a person who works and works and works at trying to make their family successful. They are there, they do the carpooling, they collect kids from the neighborhood, they collect coupons, they collect ideas, they look for recipes, and they exhaust themselves working from morning to night, and then they collapse on the couch, and then they get up again and make dinner, right? That's an awesome mom because they're the ones who keep trying and trying and trying, and then they pick themselves up and they get back in there and they try and try again. And that actually is the part you want to model for your kids, that you pick yourself back up and you try again. If that wasn't a good idea, then you go find another one. And if you can't handle it yourself, then you find somebody who helps you to handle it. That's why we have doctors and teachers and, right? Okay. The awesome moms, unfortunately, don't realize that they're awesome. The perfect mom does not exist, number one. And if you're looking over there at that mom who's dropping the kids off at school who are well-dressed and, and seem to have it all together and they're a happy family, I promise you that mom is getting help because nobody does it by themselves. Everybody gets help. So when you're looking at somebody and you're saying, wow, I wish they had their life, they're getting help. So go get help. Find help. Find somebody who can babysit and give you some time off and someone who can pair up with you so your kids can play while you have some grown-up time and someone who has kids the same age as you at your job site so that you can talk about common issues that you guys are having and explore things or talk to someone who's kids slightly older than your kids. So you can say, how did you handle this back a couple of years ago? Uh, they, the problem is with this illusion that there are perfect parents out there, people are embarrassed to say that, well, hello, I am not perfect. And if you've got some advice here, I would like you to send it my way because they're afraid of being judged, but that's not the way to go. I was an awesome mom the day 
the phone rang in my classroom and my husband's on the other line. I'm in front of a bunch of freshmen in a biology class. My husband's on the line going, um, apparently the tooth fairy didn't put the money under the pillow last night. Here, I'm going to put our daughter on. <laughs> I'm in front of this classroom of kids with my daughter and I'm, I'm signaling them, don't say anything, don't say anything, right? So for those of you who have children listening, um, <laughs> spoiler alert here. So, okay. Anyway, I'm sitting there going, so what happened? She goes, the tooth fairy didn't leave anything under my pillow. I said, um, was the tooth there? She goes, no, it was on the bureau. I said, oh, well, that's the problem. The rule is it has to be under the bed. She goes, mom, she had to come in the window by the bureau. She would have tripped over my tooth if she was going to my pillow to find out it wasn't there. <laughs> and now in front, in front of me are like 20 ninth graders going, tell her this, tell her that the tooth fairy, tell her that, you know, whispering to me <laughs> advice. <laughs> so I said to her, look, we'll do it right tonight and we'll put it under there, right? So awesome moms screw up they make mistakes and hopefully they don't make them twice but they 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 fix it i was an awesome mom on her ninth birthday when i forgot the birthday cake i i just forgot (laughs) so i took a candle and i stuck it in a fig newton because we happen to have one random birthday candle in the utility drawer you know how there's always one exactly i stuck it in a, a fig newton my husband and I lit it and walked into her bedroom and sung happy birthday to her when she woke up. That was when she was nine. She thought it was so cool. The funny thing is when she was about 28, <laughs> I was sharing that story with her. And she goes, oh, for I, all these years, I thought that you did that on purpose. I thought that was planned and that it was so cool. <laughs> That's what an awesome mom is. You think you're screwing up. But what you're doing is showing your child you're resilient. You don't have to be perfect. It's not real. And trying for perfection is the exact same thing as trying for anxiety. And if you are modeling an attempt to be perfect, then you're doing a disservice to your children. You're telling your kids that you don't rate unless you're perfect and that love and affection and success are conditional upon you being perfect. And then that is going to create huge mountains of anxiety in them. The flip side of that is you are great. You are developing along a continuum because we all are. I'm 20, 30, 40 years older than you, and I'm on I'm further along on that continuum continuum. But we're all learning. I don't stop learning because I'm a parent. I don't stop learning because I've retired. I don't stop learning because I have grandchildren or great-grandchildren. We continue learning. So good job. You're moving right along on your continuum. And by the way, stop comparing yourself to the other kids in your class because they're insecure and moving along their continuum too. I love the way that you went through all that. And you know, the Fig Newton and the candle, what that was an experience, exactly. you know, just like she didn't know that, <clears throat> excuse me, that 
that wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And there she was remembering it at 20 something. That's right. <laughs> cherishing it. I'm sorry. And cherishing it. And cherishing it. That's right. Staying on awesome moms for just one moment. So self-care is choosing to make yourself your whole self, you know, whether it's physically, um, spiritually, financially, intellectually, whatever it is, a priority. Mm-hmm. What is that connection between an awesome mom and self-care? And you did allude to that just a few minutes ago, but can you go into that a little bit more? I will. Yes. And obviously when we're talking about awesome moms, everybody would think well, we're, it's more in keeping with my book, how to keep your, how to keep your daughter from slamming the door. But in my book, how to get your happy on and there's a list of 10 things that you can do to increase your happiness. And the first one is self-care. The first one is self-care. So if you model self-care, you're increasing your own happiness and you're modeling that for your kids. So they're learning self-care and it will raise their happiness level too. Plus when you're haggard and overtired and overwhelmed and scared and worried, they cannot be happy and jubilant in their lives. How can they? Cause they're worried about you. They don't sit back and watch you be haggard without being effect- affected by that. So that's why you have to take care of you. You have to say to them, I need some time to go sit in the bath and just chill. And I will be back in 30 minutes or 40 minutes or an hour. And then you and I are going to go do something together. If you do that, then you're teaching them to choose themselves. And as a high school teacher, I'm going to tell you the importance of them choosing themselves is the one big tool you have against peer pressure. So okay. I'm wrapping it all into one big bundle. You have yeah. to take care of yourself. So your child will say, I have to take care of myself so that they will have an arsenal against peer pressure. And then you will have less things to worry about. So it's one big cycle. And you do it in baby steps. You don't take an hour bath. You say, I'm going to take a 30-minute bath. Or I'm going to go stand under the shower for 15 minutes. And I'm just going to hum or chill or listen to music. And then I will be right back here in, in your face and happy again. And then you can also say, I'm not happy. I'm feeling unhappy today. I feel sad today, but that's okay because sometimes that happens to us, but you know, I'm not sad all the time. So don't worry because I will feel better again. And as a matter of fact, why don't you give me a hug? Cause that helps because it does. <laughs> Dipper, I just want to say real quick, that is kind of going back a little bit to the difference between an awesome mom and a perfect mom. Yes. Yes. You know, an awesome mom, a happy mom is going to share those feelings, how they're feeling where some, a perfect, I'm using air quotes here. A perfect mom is going to put out that illusion that everything in the world is just fine and just bury her feelings deep down inside. And how does your child learn how to cope with feelings if they appear invisible to them growing up? You have to be able to say, 
Yeah, you're angry right now and you have a right to your feelings. What you do with that anger matters. But I'm not I'm never going to say you don't have a right to be angry. You don't have a right to hurt anybody. You don't have a right to be mean, but you have a right to be angry and you have a right to explore your feelings. Mm. Love all of this. We can't micromanage our children. And I'm just curious, is it middle is middle school the time to let them have a little bit of freedom and responsibility around doing their homework, making their own choices? What is the right age? I guess is what I'm asking. You know, when we're given that child, given our child, but giving them the responsibility to learn and make their own choices. I'm going to say, um, I'm going to just change it from um, the right age to the right time. Mm, okay. Okay. Because um, we're on a school cycle. So the right time to expand privileges is after the first report card. Do not do it before school starts. You do not do it before the first report card. When they go to school this fall, they're going to be in a new situation, new teacher, new classroom, new rules, new schedule, new after-school activities. Everything is going to be different. So the rules and privileges need to be the same. That part needs to be consistent for them. Once they get their report card and their grades are solid, then you know that you they're able to handle some changes. The negative way to do this is to say, you know, you're older, you're entering middle school, I'm going to give you some more privileges here. So they go to middle school, it's this big weird thing and they, you know, there's mean kids and bullies and and insecurity and are we going to be in school? Are we going to be distance learning and all this stuff? And their grades start to drop. So then you say, okay, we need to cut back on your privileges. That's just punishment. That's about you fail. That's right. So um, the other side is as soon as you reach this benchmark, which is a solid report card, then we'll know that you are secure in what you're doing and you are mature enough to go forward. I wouldn't use the phrase mature enough to go forward, but you know, you get the idea. Mm -hmm. So the, the benchmark is the first report card and it's just your family standard. First report card is the benchmark. So, and then they, they get invited to discuss rules and stuff with you. But the first, re- first report card is your benchmark where you will consider the things that they have talked about. When, when the children go back to school this fall and you're saying, let, let all the rules and everything be as they've always been. Then when they get their first report card, see how they're doing and then have that discussion of, I, I don't even know what age I'm talking about here. You know but what? The time. All ages. First All grade, ages. First grade, fifth grade, seventh grade, ninth grade, seniors, all of them. The whole thing. You know, you, you seem like you can handle stuff a little bit differently. So for your first graders, it's like maybe um, you're doing so well in school. Maybe we can make your bedtime five minutes later, you know. Okay. Yes. I see what you're saying. Yep. See here I was jumping to the, to the older children and thinking it was going to be, you know, this big thing, but you're, it's, we're going back to the baby steps. Yes, exactly. And you do it a little bit at a time. 
And, and for those of you with younger kids, you know, um, grade school kids, when you say um, report card is the first time, first report card is when we talk about um, changing things. I mean, you don't have to bring it up out of the blue, but if they talk about wanting to change, you know, can I, can I stay up and watch this show? Can I, you know, that kind of stuff. Say, let's wait until you get your first report card and see how things are going. And if they're, if that's good, then we'll be able to do that. But you want to know something? And this is the most important thing. Did you want to know something, honey? I love you no matter what. I don't care what you get on your report card. The report card is just a tool that shows me what you're ready for. So I love you whether the report card's good or, or, or says that you need some more time. So don't worry about the report card because no matter what, I love you. Because our message to our children has to be unconditional love. The the expansion, expansion of privileges is based on what they can handle. And the report card is a tool that we as parents are using to judge that. Deborah, that is fantastic because you're right. Our children need to know we love them no matter what. Uh, loving all of this. Now, I'm an empty nester, but I'm sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, you know, a lot of the things that you're talking about really are just life lessons. Exactly. exactly. For whatever's going on in our lives. And you know what? That for you other empty nesters out there, that conversation about I love you no matter what still is important. You, those conversations with your kids, I don't care how old they are. They could be 20, 30, 40, 50. That conversation is, I love you no matter what. I We may squabble. We may get in a fight. I may say, you know what? I don't want to talk to you right now, but I love you no matter what, and I will be back. So sometimes people have to step away and chill and get gather themselves, and then they can come back together again. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I have one last question. What would you tell your 18-year-old self about the season of life that you're in right now? We are the sum total of all of our experiences. So everything that you're doing now affects me later. So I, I wish upon you the desire to stay healthy, to actively create your happiness, to keep people around you who love and support you, to pursue a career that makes you happy and excited, and to switch careers when something more exciting and creates more happiness comes along. Not wait until you're not happy and excited anymore. That was like for me, when I stopped teaching, I loved teaching. I missed it right away when I stopped, but I love what I'm doing now. So that's when you want to switch while you're in middle of loving what you're doing. I love all of that. I've loved the conversation. I love your energy and I will put your books in the show notes, but tell our listeners how to find you, your social media. I'm basically everywhere under Deborah Ann Davis. That's B-E-B-O-R-A-H, Deborah. There's my mom meetup group on Facebook that you can join. Please do. I also have another group called Life Advice 101 on Facebook. And I, if uh, you can sign up for my newsletter, Mary Meddling, 
if you go to my website, DebraAnnDavis.com. And for everybody who's listening today, there's a place on my website where you can get the book, How to Get Your Happy On, for free. And that's a great thing to share with your family and a great thing to model. And you'll never believe it, but it's filled with baby steps. So that book you can have for free. Just send me, you can either send me an email or sign up for the um, newsletter. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you for the, the free book. I will put all of that, like I said, in the show notes. And I really do appreciate you being here. My pleasure. And hopefully some of you will join us for the um, workshop on July 31st. Talk about teens. You can find that information on Facebook also. All right. Thank you so much. That's a free workshop. By the way, that is the third of a four-part series. Do you have your fourth part out yet or do you know the date of it? They're live. Oh, they're live. Okay. The fourth one is going to be in October, I believe like October 23rd or something like that. And that one is going to be after the first report card. Okay. Okay, So the one that we're doing in July is um, how to maximize the month of August. So there'll be me, I'll be doing um, generally like ninth and 10th grade. Um, One person is doing juniors and seniors and the other person is doing middle school. So we're talking about the same topic about getting ready for school, but um, for different age ranges. The past one, the one we did in April was for, and that one you can find online. That one was on how to um, maximize the summer for after having the screwy year that we just had. There were ways to bolster the academics for kids whose academics weren't that successful because of the distance learning and the jumping back and forth and the general fear. Um, so we address different things that parents could do over the course of the summer. So I highly recommend people go and find that so that they can um, optimize the summer. And then the and that's on the, your Facebook? I believe so. But it's, you know what, just send me an email. I'll send you a link to it. It's on my YouTube channel. Okay, on your YouTube channel. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Leaving a rating and review helps to improve rankings in iTunes. It shows engagement, which may attract sponsors, and it is essential for the podcast to be discovered by new listeners. Plus, it would mean the world to me. Thanks again. Until next time, live inspired.